you don't have the notes, I think they'll help you. Raise your hand if you need uh, some notes. Our ushers will get around to you. Louise, with healthy knees, will come to you. You got healed of knee, knee things the other week. Praise God. There's some, so many things are happening three times. She's run three times since being prayed for here and her knees being strengthened. Uh, anytime you hear that, if you're like, man, my knees hurt right now, well, just grab that thing and ask God to heal you. I don't know, Terry, your knees get a little sore working, painting? Maybe not. Good. Good. Hallelujah. We could have a whole service, and we probably will in the days ahead, of some amazing testimonies that have been happening lately, um, and they build our faith. But um, so as those notes go around, um, the biggest question for every human being on the planet is the same. Everyone asks this, whether consciously or just in their own times by themselves, is this all there is? What happens when we die? Is this it? Is this it where we, we live our life and then we die and that's the end? Or is there something else? Is there something more? Is there really a heaven? And if there is a real heaven, how can we be prepared to experience heaven? Now, the truth is, I, I, if you go to a bookstore or get online, it, you know, we live in a culture that's very... Uh, prone and attracted to spirituality. I mean, there are lots of websites and uh, play, things you can buy and uh, lots of books, self-help books on how to tap into spiritual power so that you can be successful in your business or successful in relationships or, or successful in, in um, your physical health. And so there's, a, there's an attraction to spirituality, but it's interesting Though spirituality is big in our culture, most people are in denial when it comes to what happens when we die. Dave Ramsey, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey, his Financial Peace University course? When he came to the topic of life insurance, he said, really, it should be called death insurance because you're, you're, you're get, buying insurance for when you die. He said, but if they called it death insurance, nobody or very few would buy it because they don't want to think about what happens when you die. So it's life insurance. But I think it's time we, we talked about and examined what happens after we leave this body, what happens when we die. Because I believe God's using it as a strategy in this hour to awaken people to what's going on to be prepared for the future when they leave this body. I've found in the last couple of weeks, I just want to tell you, with this topic, What's After Life, and this little booklet we're gonna, I'm going to make available, if you don't mind putting it up on the screen. I know. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have this available. I've found so many people in the last few weeks that I've talked to before about the Lord. They're like, oh, I don't want to hear it. But when I talk about this, it's like the, the lights come on. And they awaken, they really want to hear about it. So um, I believe it's a strategy that the Lord is using. More and more, large numbers of people who were clinically dead, I mean, no heartbeat, no brain waves, they're being resuscitated by the medical technology of today. And they are coming back 
and talking about the experiences they've had. They're called near-death experiences, or NDEs for short. So I'll be using the phrase NDE a lot today. So they're coming back, telling about these near-death experiences, and I want to show you one of them. This is an orthopedic surgeon named Dr. Mary Neal, and she was in a kayaking accident. So I want to show this uh, video of Dr. Mary Neal. We'll watch it together. Dr. Mary Neal is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and returned to talk about. My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're, we're gonna do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop, and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat. And I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done, and I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks, and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery, uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. Wow. She's a doctor orthopedic surgeon. She's not given to just, I don't know, just making things up. So, um, you know, she's along with many thousands and thousands of people are describing near-death experiences. And what they describe is what she was saying. It's like they, they, they look clinically, they are clinically dead, but they feel more alive than they ever felt, than they'd ever experienced before. And so, I want you to think about it, according to that, what you saw there. She's underwater for 15 minutes. And then for another 15 minutes, they're trying to resuscitate her. So think about, if, if you want to just do this with me, don't hurt your health, but hold your breath right now, okay? Just take a deep breath. Hold it in. One minute. Two minutes. Three minutes. Four minutes. Five minutes, 15 minutes. Medically, you're, you're, you're a medical person, right? Right, Betty? 
can't hold your breath for 15 minutes, much less 30 minutes without breath. So she was clinically dead. Nobody could be alive like that, but she described, as you saw, being released from her body, and she hovered over the rescuers as they tried to get her out of the water. And as they tried to resuscitate her, she also said, before she came back into her body, that she traveled out of this realm of existence and experienced some unbelievable things that are actually commonly reported by people who have gone through near-death experiences. Roman numeral two in your notes. Now, the obvious question is, you know, you came to church today going, I thought I was just going to hear Bible, you know. Let's just teach me the word. But the obvious question is, for all of us should be asking, is, is it okay to be skeptical about this? And I have to say, absolutely. We should have a healthy skepticism about this whole idea of near-death experiences, leaving your body and coming back into it. But as I've looked at two questions, they're in your notes, as I've looked at the answers to these two questions, it has helped me personally to be more open and embracing of NDEs. The first question we're going to look at today is, are NDEs credible? Meaning, is there scientific evidence? Has there been research on this? Are they believable? And second, are they biblical? Because I don't want to believe nothing that doesn't line up with the Word of God. I don't want to just come out there, you know, is there a comparison between what people are saying and what the Word of God says? And so that's what we're going to look at today and probably look at in a little more detail some of this next week. It is credible. The, 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 uh, I want to say a few things here um, before we go into the specifics on is it credible. It's happening in large numbers. Massive numbers of people around the world are reporting near-death experiences. It's estimated that 13 million Americans have had NDEs in America that, that are alive right now. So do the math, 13 million, the population of America, that's one in 25 people. So people in this room, more than one, more than two, and three or more, have had a near-death experience. So it's happening in massive, it's happening in massive numbers. Second, many of the people making these reports have nothing to gain by sharing their testimonies. They have nothing to gain. These are, we're talking about bank presidents, pi airline pilots, tenured college professors, Mary, an orthopedic surgeon. These people are risking their reputations by telling about their experience. So why would they do it? They, they're not in it for the money. They're not trying to capitalize on it. They're just they're sharing what happened. Maybe they're sharing this because it actually did happen. The third thing, that the third comment here, is that it's, from, it's happening not just in America. It's happening globally. Across cultures, through all the continents of the world, and it's happening in different from people from different religious backgrounds. 
And so the thought is, if there's so many that's happening, 13 million in America alone, what these researchers have found is there are certain common threads. Not every story you take it exactly as being true, right? Because think about if, you, if we had different people at different street corners witness a car wreck, you'd have different witness accounts of what they saw, right? How many of you get bugged by the instant replay in football, right? Because there's six referees and they see a different thing happening, so they have to replay it, okay? So, so you don't take every account as saying, that's, boy, that really happened. But there are certain things in common that we can actually line up with the Scripture. So it's happening all over the globe. I want to look at this a little bit more detail, uh, just read some from uh, some of these doctors about this, a little bit of the scientific evidence, because it's really profound. It's really going to help us answer that question, is this credible? And I'm just going to talk about a few of these, but they're in this book. And then there's a bigger book, a New York Times bestseller by a pastor here in Austin. You saw him on the video, the first video, named John Burke who uh, has written a book called Imagine Heaven. It's 300 pages. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's in bookstores or on Amazon. But this is a book, this is a, a little, you can read this in about 90 minutes. And uh, in this, we see a lot more uh, scientific evidence. So I want to read a couple of this, a couple of them here. Uh, listen how cardiologist, a cardiologist, Dr. Michael Sabum, describes what changed his mind. Before talking with Pete, this is him writing, a guy named Pete and scores like him, Dr. Sabum says, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience. Pete told me he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest and watched the resuscitation. When I asked him to tell me what exactly he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy that I, the doctor, could have later used the tape to teach physicians how to resuscitate people. <laughs> these people, like Pete, saw these details that they could have never, not otherwise have seen. This is him writing, I lost my place, I got so excited. He described their sense you could you could later use the tape. Dr. Sabum says these people like Pete Morton saw details of their resuscitation that they could not otherwise have seen. Details they could not have known unless they were present in the room. One patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open heart surgery. So his heart's being opened in surgery, and he's watching the guy, one of the guys working on me doesn't have coverings on his shoes, okay? In many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and with hospital staff. Initially, Dr. Sabum studied NDEs to refute them. But after five years of research, search, he published his findings in the Journal of the American Medical Association. How many have heard of JAMA before? So he published these in, the, in, the, in JAMA, 
and a radiation oncologist named Dr. Jeff Long, he's reading his JAMA, art, you know, his came in the mail or whatever. He's reading it, and he's like, this is nuts. No way. So he set out to disprove it too. Dr. Jeff Long, he set out to disprove it. Since then, Dr. Long, so this doctor is skeptical. He has collected and scientifically studied thousands of accounts from around the world. He studied over 4,500 cases of detailed accounts of NDEers. He says this, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. NDEs provide such a powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. Dr. Long didn't only become a believer in NDEs, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to, yeah, we can clap for that. Amen. <laughs> and that kind of sounds like Lee Strobel, right, in the case for Christ. He, he was set out to disprove who Jesus was, and then he, he became a believer. But I want you to hear this. Because of what he heard from his patients, it led him to receive Christ. And so as I said a, a few minutes ago, I believe one of the great byproducts of our rapidly accelerating technology and medical advancements, one of, the, one of the great byproducts of that is Christians, believers in Jesus, are coming back from these near-death experiences and telling others, and it's leading lost people to come to know Christ. And so though you, I haven't had one, but though, though we, most of us haven't had one of these, Getting an understanding of this and handing this to somebody after you read it, it could open people up that you haven't, that you felt like a brick wall to, it could open them up to being, uh, to receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, to becoming a Christ follower and giving their heart to the Lord. That's how Dr. Jeff Long did it. He, he became a believer. He's written two books on the subject. One became a New York Times bestseller and he travels around the world speaking and lecturing. There are so many examples I could give you, but I, this one I thought was really cool, so I had to share this one. There's, um, in one of these medical journals, they tell about a, um, an account of a person going into cardiac arrest and not breathing. It said, at, the time, at that time, the tube was being placed in the airway to ventilate the patient. It was noted that he had upper dentures. The dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer while the patient was, was deeply comatose. Over a week later, the patient reported having an out-of-the-body experience and actually described the room where he was resuscitated and the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the top drawer of the crash cart. They're like, we don't know where your dentures are, sorry. He's like, oh no, I know where they are. Find that crash cart, they're in that top drawer. I love that, I love that. Don't know if he became a Christian, but I know he got his dentures back, so <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Many doctors besides Dr. Long are now convinced that NDEs are credible. Now there also have been about 20 
different alternative explanations to these NDEs. Like people are saying, no, they didn't really go there. It must be this. It must be hallucinating or they're dreaming or, you know, oxygen deprivation made them. 20 different theories. And with all this research, all 20 of those theories have been thoroughly debunked. And so over 900, I'm, I'm making this point. It's not a small this isn't just a little out-of-the-way thing. Over 900 scientific articles have been written. Over 55 research teams have done major research on the topic. So it's not a small topic. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy here for about a minute here, so bear with me for the, the scientific... If you want... Okay, somebody's grinning. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, this is pretty heady stuff, so follow along with me. <clears throat> but this, this Dr. Long writes this, with a flat EEG, meaning no recorded brain activity, there is no chance that the electrical activity in the lower parts of the brain could account for the highly lucid and orderly experiences described by NDEers. Lucidity, which means clear memory, Lucidity coupled with a predictable order of elements established that NDEers are not dreaming and they're not hallucinating, nor are they due to any other cause of impaired brain function. In other words, as the brain shuts down, what we expect is diminishment. What we expect is they would understand less and see less because the brain's shutting down. With the brain no longer actually functioning, they would understand less and see less. But what they're describing is so clear and detailed and specific, and they remember it, that they're experiencing something that the average person can't even do. How many of you can remember what you had for lunch yesterday? How many of you can remember? You, you can. Good. Well, you're more lucid than me. How many of you can remember the first person you greeted today when you walked in? You know, that one. Good. All right. Good. Hallelujah. Y'all are ruining my little talk. I remember what I had for dinner last night, though, that potato soup. Oof. All right. All right. I got lost in a moment. All right. Um, let me make three observations. Uh, paragraph uh, B there, big B under Roman number two. Um, three observations that seem to be common threads among these NDE accounts. First one, and they're in your notes, people are, are describing things that happened in their surroundings, like the dentures in the ICU room. In Mary's case... She could describe those coming to rescue her because she was up above looking at the rescue effort. They're trying to, they, they saw the people coming to try to rescue and resuscitate her at the site of the accident. How is that possible when nothing's going on brain-wise? The second common observation is People are also, the same people are describing things not just in their surroundings, but beyond their surroundings. 
They describe traveling to places beyond this reality and into the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, and these are some of the common ones that are listed in the book, uh, they, they describe leaving their body, they describe going, many of them, not all of them like this, but leaving their body, going through a long tunnel, and coming at the end of the tunnel to a bright light that actually turns out to not just be light, but a person. A person, and they describe it of, 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 of light and love and many kinds God. Then they come, they meet that bright light that's actually a person. They talk about being reunited with family members that have gone on before them. They talk about having a life review with people that, that, um, that, that they know around them. But the person of love and light is giving the life review. They, the things they've done in their life are viewed uh, at that time. And so these are some of the, the common things that they're describing um, in, in this life review. And then finally, the return to the body. These are commonly reported, reported all over the world, not in every account, but lots of these are common in people in their experiences from around the world. The third thing here, I find this really fascinating. Blind people who have NDEs describe the same things without ever being able to see anything with their natural eye. In other words, they're born blind. They've never seen tree, uh, trees or grass, but they describe heaven's trees and grass the same way as seeing people. Example was Vicky. It's in the book here. Vicky, during a life review, she sees two of her playmates when she was a child. And she gives right on specific, vivid detail of what her friends looked like without ever seeing them. She describes their physical characteristics. And I want to share my personal experience with this because, um, and I'll kind of leave the big one, which is my son, I won't talk details, but he's, he's had one uh, that's, uh, di that's different than some of this, which I'll allude to later. But, but my personal experience with, with these near-death experiences was, was very little when I was growing up. But in the 70s, I became a believer in 1976. And, um, you know, the, the word was getting around, saying, well, people actually have had this happen to them. And but I just never thought it took it seriously. In fact, I, I remember certain movies. There was a movie I loved when I was in high school in 1970-whatever, 8 or 9, called Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty. And so, you know, I just thought it was an interesting plot that was actually the, the backdrop of a romance, right? So I don't want to go into the movie that thing, but I've seen that movie probably five or ten times, you know. But it's about a near-death experience. And there are other movies like that. But, but I just thought, oh, it's just an interesting plot. Oh, that's kind of entertaining. But, but actually what happened in the 60s and 70s, those who would talk about these things, uh, it became uh, part of this false teaching in America called the New Age Movement. The New Age movement started in those days, and people with people part of the New Age movement, they were mixing 
these kind of things with Eastern mysticism. And so what they were saying was, this is proof. They all go to light. This is proof that there's reincarnation. It's proof that we all go to the same place, that we all go into the light. And uh, what I'll tell you later is not all these testimonies do go to the good place, okay? But they, they kind of hijacked this idea and made it part of the New Age movement. And so naturally, the church that I grew up in in high school and denominations all over the country warned Christians about this subject. In fact, I've seen a few people today looking at me a little strange. <laughs> like, I don't know. I like this church until you got up today. <laughs> I knew I didn't, shouldn't have been here. But, but, um, but that's what they, what they did. And I think it was a good thing to warn Christians, hey, this doesn't mean we're all going to the light. All right. So it was a good, it was a good thing. But what's happened since the 70s, is number one, our medical technology has gotten so much better that more people are being resuscitated. And number two, people, more and more research has come out on this subject. And so we have lots of studies, over 900 studies, over 55 research teams. So that has caused us, on top of that, we have Christian leaders and pastors who have taken these studies and said, where is that in the Bible? And so one of them was John Burke, as you saw him in the video. He, he was actually, John Burke, he's pastor of Gateway Church over in, in North Austin Central. He was actually um, an agnostic. And his, his dad was dying of cancer. And he saw by his dad's table that this one of the first books written about NDEs. And so when his dad died... He was fascinated with this. He read the book, and he began to wonder, is there more? What's after life? And so about a year later, he decided to go to a Bible study, which he'd never cared about before. He starts going to a Bible study. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Then he quits his engineering job and moves to Austin to plant a church. And his, his wife actually was on the same dorm hall as Suzanne, Kathy Covington, now Kathy Burke. So you actually know, have a little bit personal connection there. But he, what John Burke did was study all these accounts and, and, and connect them to what Scripture says. To what Scripture says. And so that's my personal experience on that. Um, and... Um, I believe God's going to use this and use what, um, what we're looking at in the days ahead. So I'm going to end here in a, in a few minutes with a challenge to us. But I want to move to the second question about these, and that is, are they biblical? And just to let you know where I'm coming from, in case you're still looking at me funny, I believe the Bible is fully trustworthy. I believe God's description of heaven is more accurate than anybody's personal experience. But when you take these testimonies together, these thousands of them, there are some common threads that become apparent that we can also see in Scripture. In fact, when we ask the question, is this biblical, 
Paul describes an experience in 2 Corinthians 12 that sounds a lot like a near-death experience. So if you can go ahead and put that up on the screen there. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, look at that, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now let me stop there and say, why does Paul not say it's him? I don't have the right, the answer. But I think he's like saying, I know a man. We find out later in the context, Paul's talking about himself. But he's saying, I know a man, you know, it's third, term, third person. I think it's because Paul's thinking, this is so bizarre. In high school, my high, back in the 70s, bizarre was one of our favorite terms. We would, we would have a little accent, bizarre, that's bizarre, you know. So seriously, you know, you have your little terms, right? So Paul's thinking, this is bizarre. I'm not sure. But then he, he, he goes on to describe, verse 3, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. So we know it's not caught up, up in the, suspended in the clouds here, or even up in the stars. He's caught up in that third heaven, or the place where God dwells in unapproachable light. It says, he was caught up, so Paul's saying, I got caught up and I heard inexpressible words, like it's really hard for me to describe this, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul's also saying, there's certain stuff I'm not going to tell anybody about, because it was so bizarre. You say, well, where's that in Scripture? Well, God told Ezekiel, he told Daniel, he told the Apostle John. He told all three of those who've written, the Lord's inspired them to write in the Word. He told all three of them, there are certain things I don't want you to write down. Okay, so this looks like an account, not saying he had one, but he certainly went someplace and he left his body. Okay, we can all, we can all agree on that. So, all right, two thoughts. I'm going to zip up quickly on some of this. Um, Little a, the paragraph with the small, not the capital A. There are two parallels I want to talk about briefly today. We'll look more in detail at them, the Lord willing, next week. Two parallels with the Bible between NDE accounts and what the Scripture says. I could give you 10 of them. They're listed here in the booklet, but uh, for, for the time now today, I want to give you two. The first one is this idea of being out of a body, and into a new body. I give scriptures in your notes there, thank you, Sloan, of accounts in scripture. You can study those out later of um, leaving an earthly body or a natural body and the new body we will get, the resurrected body. Um, as with Dr. Mary Neal, most NDEers describe leaving their body but it's not like they just fade into the ether. It's not like they just dissolve into nothingness. They describe being in a new, totally healthy body that feels great. Now, everybody who's over my age or around my should just say amen really loudly right there, all right? A new body that feels great. 
I love what this bank president, Marv Besteman, said. He said this. Are you ready? This is his quote. It's in the book. He says, my old geezer body felt young and strong and fantastic. The aches and pains and limitations of my age were gone. I felt like a teenager again, only better. So how many of us, I call us silver sneakers. <laughs> we can get excited about that, right? So here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Get this. It's sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. Paul's words, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I'll talk about this more next week, as I said. But I want us to really focus in on this in more detail down the road because I believe it's going to help motivate us to live with joy and with hope that we're not getting older, we're going to get better. Right? We are getting older. But it's going to give us joy for that day, you know, and I know this is really corny, but I got to say it, when we go from geezer to glory, all right? I just love saying geezer, I don't know. A geezer was eating gizzards. Sorry. Rachel, why don't you start, come up, come on up right now, Rachel. No, really, seriously, come on up. Last one, the God of light and love is the second one. So they, they talk about going out of, is it biblical? You see NDE accounts going from one body to another and, and, and you know, then, then going into and then seeing a God of light and love. So the verses are there that we'll, we won't take the time to look at, but I think I, I, I underlined them and put them in dark and bold on your notes. 1 John 1, 5, where's this in Scripture? They, they describe the God of light, that it says God is light, 1 John 1, 5. Can't be more plain than that. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9, in the middle of that, in verse 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Two more important points in my kind of wrapping this up because I, I think this one, this one's really important. This, this one actually, I, I shared this at the gym, Gold's Gym this week. I, I go around, I have little Bluetooth headphones on and I listen to things on my phone. But I leave my phone places around the gym. It's like on a stand or someplace. And I'm listening to one of these teachings on near-death experiences, and, my, uh, and, and then I found it was like losing its, you know, where, where's my phone? One of the guys working at Gold's Gym took my phone. So I head up to the, to the thing, and the guy happened to be a Christian, and he goes, wow, I know what you're doing. You're getting the word in you, you know, because he saw the sermon. 
And I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad he didn't see, you know, Beach Boys or some old, you know. I'm looking real spiritual right now because he's seeing the. Usually I listen to music that gets my blood going. But I said, yeah, this is about this study. I'm listening to this study about a study about, uh, they did a study of 500 in India, 500 Hindus who had near-death experiences. You can strum. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Strumming. 500 Hindus and 500 people from the Americas. So 500 from, and the, the study was based on, was trying to figure out does people's religious background shape their near-death experiences? And so they studied 500 from, from India, 500 from the Americas, mostly Christian background. And here's what they found. Not one near-death experience from a Hindu had any relation to the Hindu tenets. There was no reincarnation there was none of the, the tenets of what, I, there was no Hindu heaven. Now I'm telling this to the guy at the gold gym counter and two of the other trainers were standing right there. So I'm like, and they were all like locked in, you know, and usually everybody's not locked in. So they were, I said there were, there were, um, there was no reincarnation. There was no Hebrew tenet, you dissolve into the Brahman or into formlessness. I said there was none of that. I said there was one, there was one thing that kind of could that the that the Hindus could relate to, and that was that um, with their idea of karma and that you have good works or demerits or or merits system. They said the one thing they saw in common was a man dressed in white with a book of accounts. And I'm telling this guy who's got my phone and these other two, this guy over here, he goes, that's Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Just stand up if you would. Next week, I'm going to look at, Lord willing, 23% of all NDEs describe not going to the God of light and love. And that's only 23% who talk about it. I was thinking about that. If you saw something really horrific, your tendency might be to not tell anybody. So think there, so it is not all going to a good place. I had the sense, I haven't talk to the guy yet, but I want to take one of these to that guy who said, that's Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take one of these books and read it yourself. You can read it all at once, an hour and a half, or about as much as it takes, or read it a little bit at a time, whatever. But I want you to take the book with, with the, the, the challenge I want to issue you is read it and then pray about who to give it to. Especially if it's somebody you've had a hard time really talking to about say, hey, this is, I thought you might find this interesting. It's about, and once they read it, then have a conversation with them and see what God does with that. Let's bow our heads.
why, why am I sharing this today? Besides that there's like a citywide campaign where over 140 churches are going to start talking about this in the next week starting in East, on Easter. But I'm really talking about this because as a, as a pastor, my heart burns that you be prepared, that I be prepared, and that we would then prepare others. So Holy Spirit, I invite you. Let's just open your hands up if it, if it helps you, just as a way of saying I'm open. Holy Spirit, I invite you to move. Move in your power in this room. <laughs> do whatever you need to do in us to prepare us. To prepare our hearts. Scripture says we are to be longing for your appearing. Doesn't mean we don't check out of this life, but Lord, help us, teach us to number our days that we may offer to you a heart of wisdom <coughs> and a heart of worship and a heart that's on fire. I want to stop right there and just say, could you all worship team just play for a moment? We're, we're right on time, so, but I believe the Lord wants to release a fire in our hearts. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. In fact, I saw this in the middle of Sunday school this morning. I'd like you to just orderly, kind of like we do communion, but I'd like you to stay up here. Um, if the Lord, I just, I want to pray for those at the altar specifically who you're coming forward saying, I want fresh fire. But I want you to have the, one of these books in your hand because I want to pray over you and the book that it would go to someone after you read it, that it would go to someone who may go through a tunnel if they died today, but it won't be to Jesus. Come forward right now and get a book and just stand up here. Yes, and I believe God's going to release fresh fire. I know my heart needs regularly the blowtorch of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, thank you for a church of true disciples. I thank you that even in this room, some of you who have had NDEs and you've not told anyone, <coughs> Lord, I thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. I thank you for using their experience to awaken Awaken them. Thank you, Lord. Everyone, get up. Everyone, just come. Let's come before the Lord. I thank you, Lord. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, Kyle. I'd like you to come and pray for fire for us. There's more books out there too, but as you're praying for it, you know, I just lay your, put your hand on the book as well. Think about someone who reads this may change their eternal address. Oh God, I thank you. We open our hearts now. Yeah, Acts 1.8. It's all about the Holy Spirit, this fire that my dad was talking about. The fire is not just to burn 
just uncontrollably, but it's for a purpose. The Holy Spirit's for a purpose that he gives us. Here's a promise for us right here at the altar. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem or in Lakeway or in Austin and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, Lord, I thank you for these ones that have said yes, said yes to reading this book and said yes to asking you who in their life would need to read this book. Lord, I thank you for the power that is promised as your Holy Spirit comes upon us like fire. Lord, to burn away fear of what the other person would think, to burn away any expectations that are not from you, to fill us with courage. So Lord, I welcome your fire through the Holy Spirit to fill us with power, to fill us with courage, to fill us with the right words, to fill us with the love that you have for the people around us so that we would cross the street and hand them this book. Lord, I thank you for your fire. Lord, we thank you in advance that when these conversations are had, that truly you will be revealed. Lord, that you will go before us, that you will do the hard work to open their hearts. Lord, as they read this book, I pray that same spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to them in the knowledge of you, that their hearts would be open, that their eyes would be open to you, and then even the conversation that we'd have with them, Lord, would just be a celebration because they've already said yes to you reading the, reading the pamphlet, Lord. I thank you for faith that moves mountains and for the Holy Spirit that brings fire to make us witnesses to you and for you. So Lord, I thank you even for every person representing, holding this book, that that book represents a soul for eternity. But I just picture just how many ever people up here that many people coming to know you. Lord, I believe you for all of them. All 60, 78, whatever it is. Lord, I thank you for eternal addresses being changed because people have their hands on this book and they're saying yes. Lord, I thank you for your fire, removing fear, giving courage, and releasing love for our neighbor. We love you, Lord. We love the people who are going to receive this book. In your name, Lord. Thank you. Send us out. Send us out.